Major Lindsay in Africa presents Between the Legal Lines, a podcast focused on leading women lawyers who have pushed beyond the boundaries and found success. Welcome to Between the Legal Lines. My name is Andrea Bricka, and I am your host today. This podcast is a series of monthly interviews where we explore how women who happen to also be both executives and lawyers navigate the boundaries placed upon them due to their roles and their demographic. These women have found success despite those sometimes very narrowly drawn lines that govern what is acceptable and what is not. And each month we hear a new story from a different woman about what that's like. Joining me today is Lacey Bundy, and she serves as the Senior Vice President, General Counsel, and Corporate Secretary of PetSmart. Lacey, welcome. Please tell us about you and your current role. Thanks so much for having me on, Andrea. Um, I So I joined PetSmart 18, a little over 18 months ago. Prior to that, I was General Counsel for approximately eight years at Express, uh, the Clothing, um, clothing company in Columbus, Ohio. Um, but current in my current role, I oversee the legal department, risk, the risk team, government affairs, and I also um, sit on the board of PetSmart Charities, which uh, many people don't know is actually the leading funder of animal welfare uh, in North America. So people hear a lot about other uh, animal welfare organizations, but uh, many don't know about the great impact that PetSmart Charities has. Uh, I sit on the executive team here. Uh, I joined um, shortly after the new CEO, J.K. Semancic, was put, uh, joined the company, um, which was 19 months ago-ish. Um, and I was, at that time, I was the very, uh, the first woman to join the executive team. I, there had been some in the past, but at the time there were, there were no women. Uh, and so at that time I was tapped to do all kinds of things. Um, including uh, uh, being a co-chair of the Diversity Action Council here at PetSmart, uh, sort of to um, you know, bring, some, uh, bring some perspective um, kind of from the female angle. So uh, it's been, been a really fun change. I, uh, as, as my former colleagues say, I traded, I traded fashion for, for pets and uh, it's been fun every day I get to walk into the office and uh, you see puppies and uh, sometimes you see cats. Um, we see all kinds of other animals, fish. We've got a, we have a team hamster uh, that uh, travels around in a ball um, in our department too. So anyway, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's a great company to be a part of. And uh, like I said, I've been on the ground here now for, for 18 months. If we hear animals in the background, it's just the work environment you happen to be in. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a great work environment here at PetSmart. So how, how did you get there? How did you get to the pinnacle of the GC corporate secretary for a public company and a very well-known public company for that matter? Yeah, so I guess kind of taking it, you know, taking it back, uh, taking it back a step, uh, I, uh, and I was a certified public accountant. I worked for Ernst & Young for two years uh, um, coming out of undergrad. And during that time, actually, I was doing a lot of deal work, but uh, on the accounting side of things and was exposed to uh, transactional 
law and uh, big M&A deals, securities offerings, and neither of my parents went to college. Uh, nobody in my my family was, you know, was a lawyer, and so I had no idea that that avenue even existed from a professional career standpoint. And so um, during that two-year period and that experience, I uh, kind of was looking across the table at the at my lawyers working on the deals and thought, you know what, I think I like, they seems like what they're doing is a whole heck of a lot interesting than sort of being narrowly honed in on the accounting side. And so um, I made the pivot to go to law school. Um, and then after that, I practiced um, at Kirkland and Ellis for five years and as, a, as an associate doing a variety of different um, transactions within the corporate department. And I feel very fortunate that I was actually able to do that and not specialize um, right away early, um, you know, as an early associate, I really was able to dabble in a bunch of different um, corporate transactions, whether it was debt work, private company deals, public company deals, et cetera. When I was in private practice, I spent a lot of time advising consumer facing brands and companies. Uh, and the at the very end of my tenure there, I was helping uh, the express uh, management team and private equity owners at that time take Express public in 2010. And because Express had been carved out of a larger company in 2007, they didn't have a legal department. And so uh, got a chance to obviously during an IPO process, you really get to know um, the management team really well. And after the IPO, they said, hey, we, we really need somebody with your skill set and we need somebody to help us build a legal team and build a legal team that is, uh, you know, necessary for a public company. And so, you know, honestly, at the time, I was really enjoying private practice and I was on the partner track and I thought, eh, I don't know about that. I also thought, gosh, this is in, this is in Columbus, Ohio and wasn't necessarily interested. I was, I was in private practice in Chicago, uh, wasn't necessarily interested in, in, uh, in going to Columbus. But when I told my husband about it, I said, gosh, this would be the perfect job if it wasn't in Columbus, Ohio. And my husband said uh, to me, he said, you're crazy. I will see you more if you're commuting to Columbus, Ohio every week than I see you now. And he really, really encouraged me to, uh, to, to take it. And um, he said, you know, we'll figure this out. And so really when I reflected upon it from my perspective, I thought, when am I ever gonna get a chance? And so, like I said, I'd only been in private practice for five years, but when was I ever gonna get a chance to join a brand new public company and build a legal team? And I, you know, those opportunities just don't come along every day. And I knew if it was a total disaster, I could, you know, come begging for my job back. So. Uh, so anyway, so I, I took the risk and um, and I jumped at it. And at the time, I was 32 years old, and I I share that because um, I share that because it's very it's quite intimidating to go into a public company board of directors um, as a 32 year old. And um, but I was really really fortunate. I had a really really supportive management team. I had a really, really supportive board um, that really helped me um, grow over that eight-year time. Um, and so, you know, I was there for eight years, and uh, you know, had had gone through a lot, had done a lot, and 
you know, at that point started looking around saying, gosh, what, what more do I have um, left to offer, um, to offer here? And uh, started to say, hey, I, you know, I think I'm looking for, it's ready for me to start looking at my next adventure. And uh, believe it or not, this opportunity at PetSmart uh, happened to open up and uh, I actually heard about it uh, from one of my husband's, uh, a friend of my husband's who said, you know, the PetSmart job is open and it, you know, publicly, I had no idea, uh, didn't know anything about it. I actually reached out to my former colleague at Kirkland and said, hey, do you know anything about the private equity owners of PetSmart? I'd love to talk to them about this opportunity. And within 24 hours, I had a meeting set up with the incoming CEO uh, of PetSmart and the chairman of the private equity firm. Um, and they were thrilled, actually, um, that they had a woman candidate to consider. And uh, so, you know, and the rest was history. But, uh, you know, kind of what's one of the common themes through, you know, both of, both of these experiences is that the opportunities that came, you know, that I was presented with really came through my network and connections. Um, for me, I have, um, I've been in retail. Uh, I, the beauty of me going to Express and now being at PetSmart is that I'm back to my, what I view as sort of my retail roots. I actually, in, in high school and college, I worked retail. Um, I started off working the sales floor in the stock room at Nordstrom. Uh, and then I helped open uh, the Nike Town store in Seattle, which is where I'm from. And it was uh, the beauty for me now of sitting in the seat that I am today is that I have, it makes me really uh, empathetic and able to understand what it's like for all of our retail associates. And so for me to see that, you know, to see that perspective and be able to bring that to bear for me has been really fun and why it's been so rewarding for me to, uh, to be in the retail space uh, as general counsel. You mentioned your network, but is there any one person who's been particularly helpful in your career? Oh gosh, I think broadly, I would say everyone who believed in me when I didn't believe in myself. Um, I would say, you know, when I put myself back at Kirkland and Ellis, I would say, you know, like I mentioned before, my parents didn't go to college. I didn't really know any lawyers. Um, I felt, a, you know, I wasn't sure I really belonged there, to be perfectly honest, when I looked at my colleagues and, um, you know, their backgrounds and all of those things. And I had a lot of partners there who really believed in me and encouraged me and gave me the confidence that I did belong there. Um, in particular, um, Bob Hayward there, he has been instrumental in the general counsel job I got at Express. Uh, he was instrumental in helping connect me with this PetSmart opportunity too. Uh, there was another uh, partner I worked with a lot, Mark Browning, who I like to tease him that everything that Sheryl Sandberg wrote in her book, Lean In, I said, gosh, you told me all, you gave me all of those lessons, just minus the research, but you gave, you shared all those lessons with me long before that book came out. I mentioned that when I started at Express, I was 32 years old and uh, really, I mean, the, the, you know, my my direct boss there, uh, who was the COO, Matt Muller, he was terrific, uh, you know, terrific support to me as I, you know, had a lot of developing to do as a senior executive. 
Um, I would also really want to call out um, a really special relationship, uh, another special relationship, and that was the ch uh, who is the longtime chairwoman of the Express Board. Uh, her name is Millie Mangum. She, I, I feel like that was a, for to take on a public company GC role. Without her, I don't know that I would have been nearly as successful. I mean, she was unbelievably generous with her time, with her wisdom, uh, with her encouragement. Uh, she has been on many, many public company boards and um, is really, really does a great job uh, in terms of leading, uh, leading public company boards. And so to get to learn at her knee um, over those eight years was really, you know, I'm really, really grateful for that experience. The other thing I would say, um, I tell a lot of people this, I would, I would not have been nearly as successful um, in that first general counsel role because, you know, I had never been in house before. <laughs> uh, and literally I walked in day one and I really did, had no clue what I was getting into uh, and what I was doing. And, you know, I'm pretty open about that uh, now, but the, I think the number one thing that made a difference there aside from you know like i said the leaders i just mentioned was columbus has a really you know really close-knit retail community and i call i was able to pick up the phone and call many of the general counsels in the columbus retail community and say hey can i take you to coffee can i take you to lunch and i uh, peppered them with questions. They they shared you know advice with me, their perspectives, and um, they really really helped um, helped me sort of navigate uh, being a general counsel at a public company. Um, didn't have the experience to do that. Um, lastly, uh, I would say the there's a really really tight knit. General counsel beyond Columbus, there's a very tight knit general counsel group in the retail space, and I would say they were just a tremendous, tremendous resource to me, and they were very welcoming to me. When again, when you're looking around that table, everybody's got you know, ten plus years at least probably of experience on you, and uh, everybody was just incredibly warm, welcoming, willing to offer up their time their wisdom, um, advice, anything I ever asked. I never had anybody that didn't um, didn't try to help. And uh, so I think having the, that network, whether it be my network from private practice, the network within the retail community, the network within Columbus, all of those have been really, really critical to my success. That is great to hear that there was such a support network for you and you didn't have to just do it all alone, um, figure, figure everything out by yourself. Um, what, if anything, do you wish you were freer to say or do at work? And if so, why can't you do those things? Here's what I would say, I guess, because of the, the role that I'm, the role that I'm playing here in the Diversity Action Council at PetSmart, when I was at Express, I uh, embarked try to help the company stand up corporate responsibility program. Um, I am very, I, I love, I love people. I'm an introvert, so I, you know, I can't have too many people, but <laughs> I gotta have my downtime. But 
I actually do really love people. And one of the things that I, we're talking a lot in, not only in the legal community, but we're talking more broadly at public, public companies, private companies, you name it. I think there's a lot of focus on diversity and inclusion because we understand uh, the research shows the benefits uh, that diverse teams bring. Uh, but one of the things I don't think we're having enough conversation about, and I think, frankly, it's a lack of courage on the part of executives is really around mental health and what we are doing to support people. And I, when you think about so much of diversity and inclusion, the research really supports why that is so critical. But the reality is I think we can unlock so much value and people's potential, which can fuel um, success at companies. I think if we can somehow uh, put some more resources, I think, behind mental health of the people that work at these companies. I would like to see us be having more of those conversations. When we have conversations around talent and things like that, I just, I think this is a topic that's, you know, a bit taboo. And if you read things, you'll say, oh gosh, you'll say, okay, all these executives have, um, there's, what executive doesn't struggle with X, Y, or Z, et cetera. But, but I think at the top, and people talk about it's very lonely at the top, I think people are reticent to, or people don't wanna talk about it because they feel like it's um, shameful or whatever, but that makes it really then hard for people down the chain to either think that they can, you know, they can achieve that or that they can seek resources. So I think there's little things that companies are doing um, in this arena, but we probably, I'd like, I would like us, to, I would like to see us having more conversations and uh, how we can support people on the mental health side of things. Excellent, excellent point. Um, what has been stronger, the restraints that you place on yourself or restrictions placed upon you by other people when you look at your career? I would say it's absolutely been the, the constraints, I think, placed on me. Um, I mentioned earlier, I think because of my upbringing, I, where I went to high school, it was, my high school was very, very incredibly diverse. Uh, it was very much known for putting out uh, football talent and other great athletic talent, but it was not, uh, it was not for the academically inclined. Um, and so, you know, I would say when I, when I went to undergrad, it was, oh, I'm not sure I belong here um, because, you know, my education leading up to now was, was maybe subpar and wasn't on par with the people that I was surrounded by. I would say every single, so, you know, I sort of felt that in undergrad and then it kind of took a while and it, I felt like I've always had to work harder than other people, I think, because of my background. And that's why for me, as I mentioned before, those people probably in my early days in private practice, that when I didn't feel, when I was looking around and didn't feel like I had the same upbringing, the same experiences, maybe the same education as other people did, that um, they believed in me and gave me confidence. Um, but I, you know, if I'm being honest, I would say it's something that 
I have to continue to work on. It's it's something that's kind of always in the back of my always in the back of my mind. Actually, it's funny. I had I uh, attended. There's a really great event called Ladder Up that takes place um, every year, where general counsels spend time with uh, more junior, I'd say mid-level associates at law firms. And I remember one of them asking about imposter syndrome. And I said, you know, I'd love to say that it would go, you know, what can we do to, you know, help help us get out of this imposter syndrome? I said, you know, I'd love to be able to say that it just goes away at some point, but, you know, I am now 40, almost 42. And, you know, it hasn't really truly gone away for me. Um, it's just, it's something that um, I continue to, I continue to struggle with, to be perfectly honest. I think a lot of that, like I said, it's just the experiences that I've had. It's the upbringing that I've had. Um, so for me, it's definitely been more of the restraints I've put on myself um, than, than other people. So when some people hear, you know, you, you made it to a general counsel at 30 something, you're the general counsel of PetSmart at this age, I think I went to a conference where they talked a little bit about it's your timeline. Like people may be listening to this going, oh my God, I'm not a general counsel at that age um, and putting those restraints on themselves, but need to understand that really you look at your timeline, not Lacey's timeline and, and, and do what's best for you. So I think that's, those are, those are great points about the restrictions we put on ourselves. You can hear the dogs at PetSmart in the background. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and and I think, you know, I think to that point, we've been talking a lot lately about there's choices that you make. And yeah, I had that opportunity at 32. It was a rare opportunity, but I also, I commuted, I commuted and was away from my husband during the week for eight years. Uh, and so, everybody's going to have their own choices to make. Um, I don't have children, so that makes that a little bit easier, right? And so I think exactly what you're saying about being on your own, um, being on your own timeline, um, I think you really have to respect that. I would also say that there is a real, there is a, you know, there's a drawback to the way, you know, to the way my career ended up, you know, ended up, going right and I wouldn't I just happened to say yes to opportunities that came you could say yes to opportunities that come too it may not be the first one may not be a general counsel but the opportunity to learn let's say you're in-house and you have an opportunity to learn at the right hand of a general counsel or an AGC or somebody else I think that's super super valuable too in some ways I'm a bit disadvantaged, to be perfectly honest, because I was self-taught and I didn't have maybe the benefit that others have had of growing up at the knee of some really, really great general counsel. So I mentioned that I've had this experience and have gotten to be, you know, the, at the right hand and learn from other great leaders. They weren't general counsels. And so I think um, everybody's path different and I think everybody's path can be you know really beautiful and um, and valuable just just different so Lacey what other advice would you offer to other ambitious women about workplace behavior generally first of all I think you have you know I think at your core I think you have 
view. And I think if anybody asks you to be something that you're not, I think you've got to got to have sort of you've got to have your list of non-negotiables um, and you know what you're willing to compromise on and what you're not, um, and then you know live live your life accordingly. Uh, one of the things I really like to do is just observe the people around me. Um, what I really think is effective about their style, what is you know, maybe I don't view it as effective, and what thing, what pieces can I take from each person and sort of adopt things that I I really like or um, think that aren't aren't really effective. I would say the you know one of the things I like I just. I'll say this because it's something I share, I've shared on, you know, as we've been talking is I think believing in yourself. And if you're struggling with that, finding other people um, who, will, who will build you up and believe in you when maybe that you're not believing in yourself. I think you know, it's really stretching yourself. I had a, one of the partners I worked with at Kirkland, I remember him telling me once after I said, hey, you know, I decided to turn down this project and I was explaining to him what it was and said, I have, I have no business doing a project like that. I have no clue at anything about that, um, that particular project. And he looked at me and he said, Lacey, that's exactly, and that's exactly why you should do it. And it was such great advice uh, really to say, okay, what everything, if you are really getting to control, you know, you are in control of your own destiny and your career, what you work on. And so make those things be really meaningful opportunities that you feel like you can grow either because of the people that you will be working with um, or the substance of what it is. But I think me that's probably the number one is and I think it helps too because sometimes women we have we struggle sometimes with delegation or asking for help but one of the things I've always believed I'm like okay great I've done that I've learned that now it's time for me to teach somebody else that and it's now time for me to move on and teach you know and, and me to learn something new and something different uh, so it's you know trying not to stay stuck but be um, but be really agile. I think, you know, I I think it's interesting. There are so many conversations being had around should, you know, oh, don't apologize uh, because, you know, maybe men don't apologize or, you know, you don't want to be the person that's, you know, taking the notes in a meeting or you don't want to offer to get people's dishes or coffee or whatever. I guess, you know, when I hear those things, I I feel like just be true to you. Um, I hear a lot of those and I'd say, gosh, I was just in a meeting the other day and I was glad to collect the dishes of my colleagues. Um, I'm not afraid to say sorry. Um, I, I understand why people don't and that might work for them, but that doesn't feel authentic to me um, to take that out of, out of my um, vocabulary. And so I would say, you know, just really be true to you. Um, nothing else will really work and people will see through that. So um, I think um, if I, I'm a fairly empathetic person and um, 
um, I, like I said, I kind of try to read the room and offer up what I can. And if the only thing I can offer up in that moment is grabbing somebody's cup of coffee or taking their dishes, then, you know, I'm happy to offer that up. Um, so at the end of the day, I think just really being true to yourself, I think observing, uh, observing the behavior of others around you, I think, you know, I, I think asking for feedback, nobody really likes feedback and, and the, the reality is nobody actually really likes giving it either. Um, I, uh, I, Marshall Goldsmith, one of the you know, famous executive coaches, he talks a lot about feed forward and I love that concept of feed forward. So it's not about, okay, you know, what could I have, you know, what did maybe I didn't I do in that meeting or what could I have done better in that meeting? It's really about, okay, next time I'm in that position, what would you tell me to do? Um, you know, how can I be better? But really always kind of forward, future looking. Um, if you aren't sure or uncertain about where you might have areas to improve, I think asking for it, because people don't necessarily, like I said, people don't often don't like to give feedback either. Um, it's kind of uncomfortable. So um, I think asking, um, and I think just, and, and networking, um, as I mentioned that, I think networking is so important, um, your connections, but I think really being able to do it in an authentic way uh, you know, I'd say the theme of all of this is sort of, you know, you've got to, you will give, have to give too much of yourself if you can't be authentically you. That's a great place for us to, to end this. Um, be authentically you, and that is a key to success. Lucy, thank you so much for joining us today with some wonderful advice. This has been Between the Legal Lines. You have just heard from Lacey Bundy, Senior Vice President, General Counsel, and Corporate Secretary of PetSmart. I'm Andrea Bricka from Major Lindsay in Africa. Thank you for listening. Join us next month for a new story about another woman successfully operating between the legal lines. If you have a story you would like to share, please contact me at abricka at mlaglobal.com. Have a great day. Discover how Major Lindsay in Africa can help you navigate the legal landscape at www.mlaglobal.com.